right? So our parents have their expectations and, uh, you know, the young person is finding their place and we don't meet, right? And, and that distance leads to the disconnect in, 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 that, um, in that experience. So a difference in culture. And then would you also say that what you just defined is intergenerational trauma? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, our, um, uh, our, our biological signatures carry through our families. Another episode of the Speak Real podcast, sharing one-on-one conversations. We believe that storytelling is the best way to empower youth and give them the platform to find their voices. Presented by Youth Speak, youth experience, youth voice, youth empowered. I'm joined by Shivani Gupta, who is a clinical social worker and psychotherapist, and also the first mental health professional we've ever had on this podcast. Hi, Shivani. How's it going? Going really well. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for being a part of this. For anyone who is unfamiliar with what a clinical social worker and psychotherapist is, could you clarify what exactly it is that you do? So a clinical social worker, psychotherapist, is an individual that works with people and uh, experiencing mental health or emotional challenges, uh, as we all do in life, pain is a common denominator to all of us. So it provides an opportunity for people to have a safe space where they can uh, meet with somebody outside their family realm uh, that can allow the space to talk about their life experiences, learn skills to help them regulate their emotions, learn some tools, um, and also reflect on their own experiences and make sense of it. Awesome. I will introduce myself for the audience. I'm Verinder. I am the creative lead at Youth Speak Performance Charity. I'm also a public speaker for Youth Speak. I talk about my mental health journey, which involves self-image, processing, overwhelming emotion, building my relationship with myself, a lot of which is fitting for the topic of today's podcast and why I was so enthused to speak with you. Um, so Shivani has shared with me a few articles, which are called Psychological Invalidation, Core Beliefs and Self-Acceptance, and Validating Your Feelings. I will be referencing the definitions from these articles for anybody watching who maybe is not familiar with these terms, and that will set the tone for this talk. So let's start this talk, Shivani. I, I wanted to start with a definition from one of those articles. So it reads, psychological invalidation is the act of rejecting, dismissing, or minimizing someone else's thoughts and feelings. It implies that a person's experience is unimportant, wrong, or unacceptable, and causes greater psychological distress, which makes the recipient filled with self-doubt. For example, the phrase, it could be worse, or I'm sure it wasn't that bad. These statements minimize and marginalize someone's pain and force a toxic positivity on them. So this really resonated with me. I feel like I can try and understand what good intention that phrase could come from I would assume gratitude which is a great tool for self-improvement but it's another thing when you're using gratitude I think to or comparison to someone else to bypass your emotional response to something that happened to you and I know that because I used to do this a lot I would deny any idea or slight possibility that anything I experienced was abnormal because I thought well how could that be I'm just as normal as everyone else and then I got to this point where I could speak on the the residual feelings I had from events that occurred in my life that still had an effect on me years later as an adult. But I would always end with the statement, but I know other people had it worse, so it's not that bad. And I thought mm-hmm. that was just me trying not to make my life sound like a sob story. Um, but I, it, it took me being asked, why do you invalidate and make excuses for your pain for me to realize that's what I was doing? So mm-hmm. I think sometimes it can start out as someone telling you that, and then you start telling yourself that. And that's the bigger danger because that's how it stays with you, even if that person stops or leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, thank you for sharing your experience, Brenda. I think you've really um, highlighted how actually um, emotional validation, uh, invalidation can uh, be a traumatic experience in itself, right? So uh, when you talked about that, you know, what I heard was that uh, when somebody invalidates you, which means that they are um, not understanding or fully accepting the experience of the other. And most people don't do it uh, purposely. It's, it's just, uh, you know, the way they have been conditioned or not knowing any different. It often leaves the other person feeling that their experience is not important. Um, and often that invalidation that comes externally can eventually be internalized where we begin to internalize and invalidate our own experiences as if they don't matter, right? And it's often a conditioned response because you've learned to invalidate yourself to protect self in some way and then uh, developing a core belief that your experience is not important. With that, I want to segue into my first question, which is 
what are some things commonly unrecognized as mental or emotional abuse or trauma? So, uh, so when you think about emotional trauma or um, psychological trauma, psychological trauma is any experience that uh, one has had that has left a psychological injury on the brain. Uh, one of the differences between physical traumas and emotional traumas or psychological traumas is that in the physical traumas, you do see um, uh, something uh, visibly present that you can heal from over time uh, or something that uh, gradually wears off. Psychological and emotional traumas are internalized at a much deeper level where the, the wounds may not be visible to, to your eyes. However, the internalized experiences turns into co negative core beliefs about self. So one may move away from an experience of a emotional injury as I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, something's wrong with me, I am unlovable. So uh, emotional and psychological invalidation and traumatic experiences can lead to uh, developing negative core beliefs about ourselves, which become the absolute truths with which we live our lives. I think it's great to define that because a lot of the time mental and emotional abuse gets left out of the conversation about abuse mm -hmm. altogether. People mm -hmm. understand physical abuse, but they may not even know that abuse can be mental or emotional. Yeah, that that's I, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm really excited about uh, this this topic and having this conversation um, in this forum, because I think it's really important to reach out to as many people possible in even becoming aware of what psychological and emotional trauma uh, and abuses. I think pain and uh, suffering is a common denominator to all of us. Um, as we go through this uh, pandemic together, uh, it's, a, it's a great example of how um, we all are impacted by a traumatic experience that has uh, different levels of uh, impact on all of us. Right, so I think that uh, while uh, one may not be aware sometimes of emotional psychological traumas, they exist for all of us and, and recognition of that is the first place to be so that we all can develop um, an emotional vocabulary that actually helps us name our experiences. Most often we, we may experience something and it, it is manifested in our behavior, but we really don't have a name or an understanding of what our internal experience is. So I think that's a really key piece in, in our self-awareness and growth. I love that you use the pandemic as an example, because that's an example of us taking care of our physical health. But as a result of that, it's affected our mental health more than I think most people would have imagined. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, which it's like a balancing act. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, I'm humbled to say that, you know, through this experience, there has been a significant surge in, um, uh, um, seeking out and reaching for mental health and emotional support because of the impact of the pandemic on, on people's lives. So that in itself is a traumatic uh, experience mm -hmm. that has stretched way longer than one could have ever imagined. So when we talk about trauma, going back to your original question about psychological, emotional traumas, when we talk about trauma, trauma is any experience. Uh, and, you know, it's the big T word that can be quite um, overwhelming when you hear about it, or one tends to even normalize that it wasn't that bad. So that in itself becomes um, invalidating. But trauma is um, uh, any experience that we actually see as traumatic, like earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, pandemic, robberies, uh, uh, sexual abuse. Those are traumatic experiences. And trauma is also experiences that can be disturbing for individuals, such as betrayals, rejections, um, uh, humiliations. These are also traumatic experiences that get internalized over our, um, um, our time and, and can cause a lot of psychological pain. So would you say trauma is more of a, people should look at it like it's a scale of, there's a different varying degrees. Like I've heard losing your job is a type of, I've never, never would have thought right. of that example. Right. So it's a scale rather than this is trauma and this is not, it's not black and white. Absolutely. And, and yes, and trauma is very personal to each person because for someone who has lost a job, uh, the meaning behind losing a job may be that uh, this person is not able to support their family if they're the primary breadwinner of the family or have somebody in the back who's in the hospital. So there are so many uh, trauma in itself. It's, it's the meaning attached to that event that that causes the psychological injury. And I think sometimes people maybe 
they don't label it as trauma, they'll label it as, as stress, mm-hmm. but it probably okay. is traumatic. Right, absolutely. Okay. And so stress can be a byproduct of the traumatic experience. I want to preface my next question, uh, which is about parental expectations, because I know that's something you wanted to shed some light on um, with an example. So, and you're the expert, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. So let's say something common in, in our community, in the Indian community, uh, would be career paths. So maybe your parents actively discourage your choice in career, and it comes from a place of love that is defined as security. I want my child to have job security, income security. This is quite common in the Indian diaspora, I would say, living in the Western world, especially with the experience of our parents' generation being immigrants, comes that survival mindset. So from the parents' perspective, them discouraging what the child wants and encouraging what they themselves want for the child is believed to be in the child's best interest out of protection. That's one perspective. From the child's perspective, especially when they're very, very young, they may not even be able to comprehend that because it's too complex. So they may instead internalize, mom and dad don't support me, mom and dad don't love me, there must be something wrong with me. And these two perspectives happen at the same time and cause a rift in a parent-child relationship because they're opposite. Is that explanation fair to say? Yes, yes. And and again, you know, um, I think that the, a child growing up is always going to seek their parents for um, validation, for support, for direction, right? And uh, I think one of the differences that happens in um, our communities, especially just keeping in the back of our mind that uh, our parents who have been uh, maybe immigrants to the country have gone through their own traumatic experiences. Immigration can be a traumatic experience where uh, they have lost uh, culture, networks, family ties, uh, and come to a new land to to uh, to make it, right? And and when you go through that, there is this piece that really drives you about doing than being, right? So it's so so that uh, belief that uh, you know the generation that arrives here brings with them develops their core beliefs about how life should be. So that absolute truth about uh, how life should be to be successful is a core belief that tends to guide their parenting journey of a child. From the best interest in mind, and uh, and while it is well intended, it somewhere along the way can um, get in the way of understanding and assessing child's unique strengths and needs, right? So there is a, um, uh, there is a bit of a, a, a kerfuffle that happens between that parent-child dynamic while the child who has been born uh, in, the, in, in Canada and is a part of the new environment and also reconciles with a home environment, home cultures and customs, goes into the new environment and has a very different experience than their parents who had their primary education in India or came from their own experiences. So there's that imposing happening thinking about the child's best interest in mind uh, and um, not being able to incorporate child's needs or their exposure in this place. So there's a bit of a, a distance, a gap that grows unknowingly. Uh, and sometimes we, we, we just don't cross each other, right? So our parents have their expectations and uh, you know the young person is finding their place and we don't meet, right? And, and that distance leads to the disconnect. In, 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 that, um, in that experience. So a difference in culture. And then would you also say that what you just defined is intergenerational trauma? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, our, um, uh, I, our biological signatures carry through our families, right? And, uh, and uh, I have to say that, uh, you know, our parents do a great job in leaving that behind and coming because of the... Um, uh, the resilience that that develops in being in a new place and and working their way through to to making it uh, in the new land and making it their own, right? So there is a sense of loss that might not be visible, but happens. I know that uh, with my own journey of growing up uh, in India and coming to Canada in adult years, um, every time Diwali comes around or Holi comes around or when I don't uh, have an opportunity to celebrate the way. I used to in India, there is some sort of a sadness that comes uh, with that experience. While uh, you know, I have developed a, a, a friend group here and a beautiful community that supports me, and my children are growing up here, so this is uh, this is their their familiar ground. Uh, there is, and I, and I choose to to be a part of um, uh, 
embracing both cultures, uh, both experiences, there is a sense of sadness and loss that, that comes with it. Um, and in acknowledging that I can move forward than leaving it behind, right? So sometimes those experiences um, can, can lead to those challenges and not being able to validate or see through the young person's experience, right? Um, and again, core beliefs play a great role in that where, um, you know, growing up, uh, a lot of our families were conditioned to, um, you know, be certain professionals. And if you were not that professional, then that wasn't okay. Uh, in my own story, when I was growing up, my father um, really wanted to be, for me to become a doctor. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I uh, was fortunate enough that I did well academically. Uh, and when I told him that I was going uh, to study social work, it was really hard for him. Uh, and he did everything possible to take me to, uh, you know, our, uh, our family friends that were in positions of uh, uh, professional positions that, that were the, 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 the professions uh, in the day and the time to convince me otherwise. Right. Um, and uh, so those were I can chuckle about that now because I know how proud my father feels today about my own experiences. Uh, however, that was a really difficult um, place uh, for him. Uh, and when I think back, it was informed by his own journey of survival growing up. He, he grew up and he was, um, uh, you know, went through significant trauma of losing his um, father to um, um, riots during the partition. And so growing up independently, uh, that informs your core belief about survival and what is best in life. So that, that really has an influence. So I think those, all these factors are to be um, taken into account as uh, parents are working in parenting their children um, and um, developing a better awareness of, of, of their needs in addition to their own experiences of, of working through their challenges. It's, it's difficult as a child to understand that. And then when you get older, you realize, okay, so my parents didn't even have that parenting themselves. How could you even pass on something you're not familiar with? So right. my question is, how would you decipher as parental expectations that cross the line from healthy to unhealthy? Uh, I, I think it's a really bloody line, right? First and foremost, because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of our parenting, a lot of our communication um, uh, with uh, uh, our children uh, is influenced by so many factors, culture, norms, uh, our core beliefs, our religious beliefs. Um, and uh, there is also this uh, hierarchy in our culture about um, family ties, right? And, uh, and how that transition through, through families. So um, I think uh, there isn't a simple answer to the question. Uh, and as I'm living through my own life experiences, I'm learning as I go as well. But what I can say is that uh, when it crosses a line would be when we impose our, um, uh, our um, expectations and beliefs on our children uh, without the opportunity to be, uh, to give our children the opportunity to be heard, right? So um, uh, a child, regardless of their age, is capable of uh, experiences of emotions um, and capable of communicating those experiences. And our role as parents becomes to be able to give it a active listening ear uh, and understand those experiences for what it is. Right, so um, because we have had certain experiences in our life, doesn't necessarily mean that those are the experiences that will guide our children's journey as well. Right, They're, that they will play an important role in influencing their journey. Uh, and I think incorporating uh, and validating our children's experiences that are unique to them because we may not have those experiences, especially if we haven't gone to school here, right? If parents haven't gone to school here, then it is very difficult to understand what it means to fit into a diverse community, um, you know, or, or when, uh, you know, I remember a story where uh, one of um, a, 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 a young client of mine said to me, um, you know, I was really bullied at school for, um, uh, for the color of my skin. And when I went to tell, told my dad, my dad said, man up and be brave right? Stand up to them, right? Which, which makes sense. And a father is really trying to be helpful uh, to the child. However, um, it is very difficult when you, when you don't see the color of your skin and others do and, and equipping them with, um, with resources and supports 
uh, would be important. So I think those are uh, certain things um, that cross the line, I would say. You mentioned core beliefs, and I think you defined it. I was going to read that definition off, but I think you already defined it. And I was going to ask if you're comfortable sharing any personal experience you've had with a negative core belief, but I guess that example was the your career path. So I just want to say it's great that you're comfortable sharing that because I think it's important for a lot of people to hear that even professionals whose job it is to help you also sometimes need help themselves. And it's useful to share that for anyone seeking help and feels alone because of it. Absolutely. I think one of the com most common, I could say, uh, through my work experiences and my lived experiences, uh, 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 a common negative core belief that we all uh, mostly struggle with is uh, self-doubt, right? Not worthy, not good enough. Um, and there have been many experiences in my life where I have come to that crossroads of not feeling uh, good enough. And that feeling is yucky and debilitating within us, right? Where we feel less than even for ourselves. Um, and so, you know, in professional self, in, uh, in personal life, uh, there are many times that I have felt that way. Uh, and to become aware now that that's a negative core belief and is rooted in, it's almost like this uh, negative core belief is like that absolute truth that lives in the basement of your house. And every now and then, the, when there's a stimulus that shows up, we go into the basement of the house to consult that core belief. And it's so convincing and it's so persuasive that it almost makes you believe that that is the ultimate truth. So we want to continue to go to the basement and challenge those things and actually collect some garbage along the way and put it in the dumpster, right? Because there are core beliefs that we may have lived by uh, through uh, our experiences or through conditioning of childhood. Um, when we become aware that they are negative core beliefs, we have the opportunity to change them. And I invite everybody to, to consider that in, in challenging some of the core beliefs that don't hold true. I love the analogy of the basement in your house. The back of your mind is not necessarily a conscious belief. Like you right. probably don't even know you have that. So there's a lot of purging that we all need to do every now and then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's, uh, pretty heavy topic. Let's um, segue into something else. It'd be pretty ironic if we were talking about mental health and the Indian community, not to mention yoga and meditation. Uh, I know you're a certified yoga teacher. In what ways do you think yoga and meditation or mindfulness has an effect on a person's mental health and well-being? Mm, yeah, um, you know, you know, yoga. Well, let's put it this way: that the body, the human body, is suited for gentleness, and uh, which means that uh, by so I think about I think about yoga as. Um, it's, it's, it's embracing and soothing your body um, to be able to handle the vicissitudes of life that we go through. So I think that our soul resides in our body and every now and then our experiences are challenged and the body takes toll. So when the body is suited for gentleness, yoga is a way of regulating your body. So, uh, more, you know, if you ever attend a yoga class, um, there's a real focus on breath work. Uh, and breath work is really to uh, ground you because breath is something that can always center you um, in, in yourself. So when somebody is activated or there is a experience that is um, causing distress, you'll note that your breathing changes, one tends to breathe, breathe shallow um, and, uh, and the body gets tensed up. So breathing, mindfulness, meditation is the way to calm the body down. Um, and uh, for some of us who practice um, uh, postures in yoga, focusing on postures is also a way on just drawing attention to the body, out of your mind, into your body to center yourself. So, um, you know, yoga has a great place of pacing ourselves to, uh, to calm the body down. If you think about uh, trauma, um, you know, so again, trauma being um, intense experiences in life of individuals that have left a uh, memory lasting longer than the time that the event took place, trauma is often stored in our body uh, and in our feelings. So yoga is a great way of helping regulate um, our emotional experiences. Um, so breath work, 
mindfulness, which is being in the present moment with awareness. Um, our mind plays tricks on us all the time. So we either think about living in the past or we live in the future. The should, the could, the would, the must, all are either future related or past related. I could have done better. I, um, uh, you know, I must have been so stupid. All those experiences are either futuristic or past, but we, we really, where we do have control is in the present moment. So yoga and uh, mindfulness is about being in the present moment with awareness, which is where we have control, which is where we have the capacity and the strength to regulate ourselves. So that practice can be uh, really, really helpful. I know through my, um, through my challenging experiences in life where uh, I couldn't find a way to regulate myself. Uh, I remember walking into the yoga studio and it was just about the act of being in, in that space that was just calming and allowing me to work through it. And I can talk about that with you today because I was able to overcome that. There's a couple, there's like so many things you said that I want to talk about. Um, so when I, when I practice yoga, definitely, it's not something I can describe in words. It's almost like it, it lets you feel that you're really in a body. It reminds me, okay, I have a body and that body needs tending to. And then you said something about uh, trauma being stored in the body. I've also heard the explanation that many physical ailments can have an emotional root cause. Mm -hmm. would, that, would you say mm -hmm. so? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really, um, I, I truly believe that. I, I, you know, I, uh, like I said earlier, I'm humbled by uh, working with people in my private practice that often will come in with um, uh, high levels of emotional dysregulation, um, high levels of anxiety or situational um, distress or depression that actually shows up in the body. So, um, you know, heart palpitations or feeling like I'm having a heart attack or have been to the hospital many times with false alarms thinking that they're having a heart attack, but it was a panic attack. Right. And oh, which can actually, right. So I, actually, no, no, sorry to interrupt you. I love ahead. that you yeah, bring no. that up because I don't think people understand the severity of what an anxiety or a panic attack can feel like. I've also heard it compared to running a mile. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people often describe that feeling as completely debilitating. It, it, it takes over and, you know, you just want to get rid of that, that feeling within. And that's when sometimes um, you know, we, we are drawn to behaviors um, that can be very adaptive in the moment, but actually maladaptive in the long run, like numbing, avoiding, self-soothing through uh, using substances, alcohol, marijuana, to, to suppress that intense feeling that happens within. Right. So, um, so, so much of our human experience that is um, labeled as um, um, toxic is usually a way of coping, which, which is unhealthy uh, in the long run, which is usually a way of coping with some of the psychosomatic experiences uh, that, that can get manifested in, um, in the body. Right, so um, I think that's, it's really important to recognize that because everything begins with the mind. Yeah, I definitely agree with using the word coping is when something can get unhealthy. Like the way I do yoga and meditation now, I, though I used to do it years ago, but I would do it in order to escape my feelings. It, I was running from myself essentially. And so that mm -hmm. you don't really get healed in that way because you right. sort of, I started to compartmentalize and that's where I got this real, just like self-hatred. And when I just sat with everything and I, I went to a professional to do this, but like I sat with all my feelings and I, I went through countless memories and things. It was a very meditative process. Um, I think it's referred to as uh, soul retrieval. Mm. And it really made me okay with negative emotions. We talked about that posit toxic positivity, right? right? Negativity as in itself bad. But mm -hmm. if, you, if you think about the human experience, it has both pain and pleasure. Like those are just natural. Absolutely. Such a hot stove, yeah. you know, it's your yeah. sign not to do that again. So Absolutely. accepting a lot of parts in me that were hurting was how I helped heal myself. Mm -hmm. And so now when I meditate, it's not to escape my thoughts or my anxiety or to get away from myself. Because when I was doing it that way, it's like you can't meditate 24 hours a day. I can't exercise 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I have to stop at some yes. point. And then the, the, everything starts again, like the, the negative thoughts and everything. Um, so now it's at a point of, okay, I accept all the parts of myself and I just am going to support myself no matter how I feel, whether or not the world agrees. 
mm-hmm. you have to support yourself in whatever emotion you feel i i completely echo what you're saying and that really it uh, really holds true for me and and also um in my work because um I've, as i've learned more i've moved away from this idea of positive and negative emotions because each emotion there plays a certain role uh, and it, emotions are your body's alarm system that tells you something's going on and we have to listen to it so the work through the work through our pain is not taking a, a detour from our, our emotions it is accepting our emotions and working our way through it and and i'm i'm hearing what you're saying that when we can sit with our emotions when we learn to tolerate our emotions which are there for a reason which are there for experiences we've had then we go grow resilient through them yeah i almost feel like your emotions are meant to say something to you and you only know that if you're listening but if you're trying to run away right what that is and that's all it's trying all your emotion is trying to get you to do is to listen and then it will i've noticed it will just like fizzle out on its own because they are temporary and the harder we suppress them the longer they stay absolutely and and shout out to you for uh for saying that out loud because i think that earlier to your uh question about you know message to 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 the the community as well is that you know kind of debunking the 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 stigma around emotions not being okay or debunking the the idea that you always have to present strong right so presenting strong uh includes presenting vulnerability exactly mental health is something so stigmatized inside and outside our community and on top of that like you said before it's not something that necessarily shows or that you can prove i have seen for myself there i guess there is a way it it can show on the outside in terms of behavior say for example someone has a particular reaction to something that reaction in itself is very telling and the questions mm-hmm. that i've learned from myself to decipher like what's going on would be okay well what am i what am i really reacting to is this a surface level thing is this something deeper what did it make me feel why did it make me feel that way what you said core beliefs do i have about it um where did i get mm-hmm. those from and how can i resolve this But the thing is you wouldn't recognize that unless you knew what to look for and what questions to ask. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think uh you know when you were saying that I had this uh I had this image of um, how the human brain works, right? So uh the brain develops from from the bottom part, right? So uh the primitive part of the brain which is our brain stem, a uh, stem is where uh the brain develops up from. So we've got the brain stem, we've got the emotional brain and then we have the learning brain. Um and when a stimulus is presented, uh to be able to access the learning part of the brain, it works its way up bottom up. So when you find first is the primitive brain which is the fight and flight mode of the brain that fires up. So to be able to get to the upper story, we have to work the bottom up. And if the primitive part of the brain is uh, which we also call the reptilian brain if the primitive part of the brain is perceiving that particular event as threatening it acts up right even though this may not be a threatening event so moving into that flight and fight mode doesn't allow so one may have a reaction to something which can be a trauma response right so for example if i grew up and when i was a child um my aunt told me go to sleep otherwise the dog will come and bite you the primitive brain gets conditioned to the dog equals bite and even though i may have not have had any experiences growing up with a dog had bitten me uh when i am an adult and a, a dog walks down my primitive brain because that's what takes up the information up fires up in saying stay away this is danger i may not remember that my aunt when i was 5 years old said that to me but the brain keeps a memory and gets activated right so when we tap into going into the basement taking those beliefs out recognizing what the origin of those are we can train our learning brain to learn and look out for false alarms so in terms of like the unconscious mind you said so it's i think what i've heard is from the ages of 0 to approximately 8 is where you have all this information that becomes the unconscious mind so people even in the age of 20 30 40 90 
are still running on that same programming they had at the age of five. Would, is that correct? Right. So, so um, I think what we know is that, and again, I'm not an expert in this, but what we know is that um, as the unconscious brain is developing and the children often don't remember their experiences at least till the age of three or four. And, and some of us don't remember. I don't have a very good memory of remembering any of that before I was maybe eight or 10 myself. But what we do know and what we are finding more is that the, the body and the mind keeps score. It may not be a part of your conscious awareness. However, one can have a visceral reaction or the body can respond if a triggering experience in childhood, um, you know, gets stimulated in adult years. I've also heard, uh, so they're, they're, the reason people, I guess children would forget their trauma is that the brain isn't matured enough to, to process it. So it stores it in the subconscious. And then that's mm -hmm. why you get 20 year olds who then are depressed and they don't know why. And mm -hmm. the, so it'll come back in, in um, when the brain is mature enough to be able to process that, but you may not know like consciously, okay, but what happened to me? Like, why do I feel this way? Right, right, yeah. And so, uh, so trauma is not often remembered as a memory especially if it's been in the early years where a child doesn't remember if it was a, 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 a trauma in childhood, trauma is often remembered in symptoms, right? So symptoms can show up as anxiety, depression, isolation, self-harm, um, uh, shaming of self, right? Um, trauma also influences developing uh, negative core beliefs about self. So you're, you're right that, um, and, and when a traumatic event happens in the, in the life of a person, um, in the moment, the brain only has a certain amount of capacity to absorb the experience. So it absorbs a small part of that experience and rest of the experience gets deeply embedded in, uh, in the memory deep inside that may not be accessible then. And that's why sometimes later uh, in years, an, an adult might recall uh, traumatic experiences and, and would think, oh my God, how come I'm thinking about this now? I didn't, because there is a certain way that brain tends to save the memory that has been traumatic to protect self and so that the self can continue to be present in everyday living and the trauma doesn't hold the person back. So my question pertaining to all that is, what would you say are some behavioral signs, inner or outer, of someone who's been mentally or emotionally abused? So um, I think that, like I was saying earlier, that um, uh, mental or emotional abuse or traumatic experiences as defined by them uh, can lead to developing uh, certain ways of coping uh, uh, that, um, that the individual gets into to help cope through that. So some of the behavioral uh, signs can be self-sabotaging behaviors that individual may get to. So, um, you know, self-harm is one of them. Uh, substance use, alcohol, drug use, uh, can be ways that individuals cope. High level of avoidance, uh, oversleeping, uh, undersleeping can also be a traumatic response, anxiety, depression, uh, or, or inability to focus, uh, irritability, um, or difficulty with relationships can also be a result of uh, emotional and psychological traumatic experiences. We know that um, uh, children who have had early experiences of um, um, childhood invalidation um, or um, on, on that continuum of uh, emotional and psychological trauma often can have disorganized attachments where there is this, um, this kerfuffle within or that you, you're not sure if you should run towards that um, visual of a caring, secure, safe figure or run away from. So flight and fight mode can develop often if one goes through that. There's a really uh, good study called the ACE study, uh, which talks about um, adverse childhood experiences uh, that can be traumatic um, and, and can, um, can help draw some insight into uh, how um, children cope um, with childhood experiences and, um, and what could be some of the behavioral manifestations of that. I wanted to ask you that because I feel things like that are really easily overlooked and I hear a lot right. of oh that wasn't abuse it happens to a lot of kids in this community or that community or this part of the world right. and I don't understand that because for me when I look at it logically 
unhealthy behaviors or beliefs being common in a society doesn't make them healthy. Say we all faced a, a common dysfunction. It doesn't magically mean it's now functional. So for mm. you, having you as a psychotherapist validating what emotional abuse even means, despite that very strange popular opinion, I, help, I think helps break down that ideology. And so for anyone listening who is ever confused about whether or not what you experienced was emotionally or mentally healthy or on the other end, abusive, I would just ask a professional and seek help if needed. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, your parents did the best that they could? Yeah. Yeah, yes. very common in our community as well. And right. it's, it's a valid phrase and uh, yeah. you know, it could be true. Maybe your parents did do the best they could. And I just, right. I wanna get across the point again for any youth that, is, that are listening, whether or not intentional, unfortunately the effects of psychological and emotional invalidation or abuse or trauma don't just go away because it wasn't done on purpose so all of these things can be true that yes your your parents tried their best and at the same time maybe their parenting style had certain abusive or neglectful neglectful tendencies and at the same time it wasn't done with that intention at the same time they love you but at the same time their child is still mentally and emotionally affected by all that so it's mm -hmm. still, no matter all these things, it's still something a person has to work through and heal uh, no matter what. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do. And um, I think uh, just to add to what you're saying, um, I, uh, you know, I truly believe that um, each individual's experience is obviously different and, and trauma is uh, personal to each, each individual, right? Their experience of, um, um, uh, emotional injuries that may have happened in their experiences, either um, in um, in their immediate home or within extended family or within uh, within another another scope of, of the environment, is a personal experience, and that's where we want to really focus on emotional psychological validation. Where regardless of what the other person thinks, if that's your experience, then that's something that. Uh, needs to be honored and recognized that it's important and valuable. Um, and, you know, um, in most cases, most parents do the best they can from what they know. Um, and this conversation is certainly not to uh, negate those very important experiences and um, efforts of, of our, our families, our generations to provide um, uh, uh, or their vision to provide a better support system and uh, uh, provide the best for their families and generations to come. This is not to diss uh, those experiences. It is to draw attention and awareness to uh, what are some of the, the factors that one may not be aware of or, and they go unnoticed, right? Because uh, psychological, emotional um, trauma and uh, can, can continue like you said, um, intergenerationally as well, because we are not aware of them. Um, and, and the more we become aware of them, the, we have an opportunity to make a change and evolve um, because the human brain is very resilient um, and, um, and has the ability to recover and heal. So the, the focus is not what we need to fix. Uh, the focus is how we evolve and how we heal collectively. Mm -hmm. It's like that phrase, uh children go to therapy for their parents who won't, mm. you know, it, it definitely right. ties into that intergenerational trauma. And it's also like, well, if you've never learned that something was even abusive, how are you supposed to know? Or maybe they're thinking, oh, but it happened to me. I was raised that way and I'm fine. Right. But even, even that definition of fine, are we even looking into what exactly that means? Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, we want to, um, we want to challenge some of those, uh, the beliefs that, uh, you know, therapy is, is if you are broken, if something is wrong with you, therapy is a process to co-create a space where you can um, explore um, and, and talk about your experiences and, and, and grow from them, right? And learn skills in changing the narrative, um, uh, you know, and, and working way through, through some of this, those emotional feelings of hurt and understanding what has happened to you rather than what is wrong with you. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that's the key part. And, and also to debunk some of the, 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 the myths and the stigma attached to that, you know, we don't seek therapy or sometimes parental core belief is that if my child goes to therapy, then there's something wrong with my parenting. Right. Or so, there's something uh, wrong with my child. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all those factors uh, a very complex uh, place.
you're in there. Yeah, I think we want, we may have a different understanding of therapy if say when like I remember being in elementary school and we would have dentists come to the school and do a checkup. If we could have a mental health professional do that, it may reduce some of that stigma because it doesn't have to be that you have a problem that you need to fix. Like you said, it can just be you're working on your general mental health and well-being. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really key. And I think the fabric of uh, uh, understanding um, emotional and psychological treatments as really valuable and important is 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 changing. It's evolving. Yeah. And you see more and more of that. We now have um, psychotherapists, social workers in schools. There's more opportunity uh, for youth uh, to access guidance counselors and additional support through them uh, in the school system. Um, youth Speak is a great voice in the school that uh, that uh, makes, uh, you know, in sharing stories of resilience through adversity um, allows people to understand that they're not alone and and um, and access those supports for themselves. The unique thing about Youth Speak is that all of our speakers are youth themselves. So sometimes it does help when teens hear stories from 20 year olds and they think, okay, well, if, if it was possible for them, it could be possible for me as well. Absolutely. I know, uh, uh, before the pandemic days, I had some wonderful opportunities to witness presentations that Youth Speak made uh, in in schools and in assemblies, and uh, it's very energizing to just see youth come together and talk about their experiences and share common grounds and um, the collective uh, strength in in working through that. We mentioned the difference between our understanding of. I guess societal understanding of mental and emotional health is not as advanced as physical health. And I think even in Western culture, right? Like that's not specific to our community, but sometimes its existence itself isn't even acknowledged. You might have heard someone say, oh, but you have shelter and food and income. How could you be depressed? Or, oh, but you look fine. Uh, mm -hmm. part, of, part of my own healing process while getting help was to communicate with my parents on exactly what it was I was feeling, why, and what I needed. I now understand that they weren't brought up in a way that would even have equipped them with knowing the kind of emotional parenting style I needed as a child. And so I sort of took on that initiative in order to continue our relationship in the best way I feel that we could have. That's easier as an adult to do than I think it would have been in my teens. So relating to that, what is your advice for youth struggling with their relationship with their parents who maybe don't have that emotional awareness to understand that their child is hurting and needs help? Um, I think the first place to start would be to start validating your experiences bottom up. Um, the external experience uh, usually manifests what's happening internally. So uh, a, a place to start, I always think, is the foundation is building relationship itself. So uh, once you begin to recognize negative core beliefs about self, uh, working on places where you work on validating your own experiences, uh, because sometimes when we haven't had felt the validation, we, we lose connection with self and um, rely on others to validate us. So seeking external validation to fill us on the inside. So uh, there's a bit of a flip that needs to happen, which is to recognize and um, challenge your own core beliefs and looking to validate your own experiences, um, acceptance of your emotions and allowing yourself to feel and heal, right? So, um, so that would be one place to go and accessing um, experiences and also people in your life that, um, you know, if it is not within the certain um, environment that you live in, then seeking those experiences and seeking trusted adults in, um, in, in your life uh, that, that can provide you that support, be it with a, a, a professional, be it with a friend, be it with a teacher uh, or um, extended family. So really beginning to um, creating a safe space and including people in your life that, um, that, can, that can inform your journey of healing and working your way through. When you, uh, when there's been a series of judgments, um, uh, internalized uh, beliefs about self, uh, and, and one tends to protect self by pushing them away, when you keep knocking on the same door all the time, then somewhere it creates a cracks and comes in. 
and we tend to internalize those those experiences. So um, I think the first part, place to be would be to take a good scan of your um, own self and start working on treating yourself and loving yourself, um, um, which would be at the foundation uh, of the beginning of the work. I love that you said it, the inner work yeah. will manifest itself on the on the outside. I've heard stories of people who worked on themselves and then in turn that somehow changed the relationship they had maybe with their parents because mm -hmm. they did that work themselves and they uh, started with their own, like you said, validating things that weren't validated from other people. Absolutely. I, you know, the, the biggest strength lies within us uh, and you always have yourself to rely on. Um, and when we begin to recognize uh, that disturbing experiences um, have impacted us in a certain way rather than those disturbing experiences are us, then we can safely create some distance from, from those experiences and, uh, and resource us, fill us with, um, with some, fuel us and fill us with, uh, you know, with resources that help to nurture self, right? Uh, we talked about yoga earlier. We talked about challenging uh, negative core beliefs. We've talked about uh, doing some purging from the basement uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, working your way uh, on uh, accessing positive supports um, that can help you uh, build strength and, and courage. Right. Okay, let, let's flip that now. So what would you say to parents who maybe aren't familiar with the kinds of emotional and psychological stresses that youth can have in terms of what could they be, how to talk to your child about it in a healthy way, how to get help? Um, I think that the biggest, the biggest piece is, you know, when you become aware of, of um, certain experiences that um, has, has impacted um, your relationship with your, um, your child, uh, then change begins to happen because change is always preceded by a vision. Uh, and when you become aware, the, the, the shift begins to happen automatically. So uh, a place to start is to, uh, to engage in active listening. Um, a child as young as, um, uh, you know, right after birth, when the child is born, is able to communicate, maybe not verbally, but non-verbally and express their needs. So the foundation is set from the very beginning and starting to, um, to, 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 to connect with the person uh, and, and listening to them, validating their experience would be a place to start because everything begins with the relationship, right? Where when you're able to connect with the person, you don't need many things common to be able to connect with the person in a relational place. So sometimes the, the goal is not, you know, um, to when somebody is in a uh, the analogy of somebody sitting in a, a hole um, and you know the 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 human um, draw is to often pull somebody out of the hole right so you put a rope in and you're pulling the person out of the hole and sometimes that's not what is helpful um, and because parents would would likely want to rescue children and, and difficult seeing their pain sometimes it is really about digging a larger hole and making yourself available in that space so that it creates a safe space to expand um, and really talk about what happens in that space together. That rescue analogy really makes sense. It's very common for us to look at feelings that are, are heavy as negative and okay we need to throw those out and so you're not seeing the okay well what is there's something here to be seen there's value in feeling that way. Right, absolutely. And, and sitting with distressing uh, feelings, right? To being able to tolerate painful emotions uh, is an important part of um, growth in our life. And we all go through that experience. Uh, usually our disposition is wanting to change those feelings and sometimes we cannot, right? So expanding the space and um, creating opportunities to, um, to be in the being mode rather than the doing mode can be very helpful in expanding and strengthening the relationship. Again, something very, very common. We don't really talk about what it means to just be. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, generally how we all are wired, right? The doing mode, right? So there's a there's a structure, there's a routine, and and you know if you look at the larger picture of going through this pandemic, a lot of uh, are relying today to be able to cope with shutdowns and lockdowns and uh, keeping safe has been about in the being mode, 
because mm-hmm. we cannot do all those external things that can be stimulating and uh, resorting to your own internal resources of self-soothing, of grounding yourself um, and, and calming yourself are the ways that we have been able to work through. We're still working through a lot of it uh, and in for the long haul for sure. Uh, but those are the the, um, the the experiences that is going to help us work through this time as well. Well, the one maybe good thing we've got from this pandemic is people are, are at least now more getting more aware of the fact that their mental health is something that needs to be tended to. Right. And uh, Brene Brown um, has a really powerful quote that's always resonated with me. And, and she says that um, we're never meant to do it alone. Mm. So reaching out um, and accessing support uh, in whatever shape and form it comes um, is really key to healing. You talked about a child would always want their parents' validation. So in a situation where a child did not receive that validation, when they grow up and they have that trauma with them, does that go away or is that something you still is stuck with you? Like, how would you even process that? Because you said a lot of it should be yourself, like work on yourself. But how do you deal with that? missing link that still feels like, okay, but there's a void here. How do I fill this? Or do you yeah. fill it at all? No. Um, uh, I think that again, um, as human beings, um, attachment is innate in us. Uh, and, um, you know, we, that's our, that's our core need to, uh, to our uh, growing up to feel secure and safe. Um, and as you, uh, you know, become aware, if, you know, uh, some have had unfortunate experiences where that wasn't available to them because of life experiences or what was happening at that time. When you become aware of that, uh, then people can heal from those experiences and create uh, secure attachments in adult years, uh, in, in, in understanding, again, what has happened to us in, um, in having a, a, an awareness of those experiences can help uh, move away from some of the uh, coping that may have developed to cope with those situations and um, and and access some some relationships that feel secure and can fill that void uh, of attachment right and sometimes in in that understanding and acceptance one can heal from those experiences um, as well and um, and, and when we can heal from them, when we can understand from them, it creates a little bit of distance from it rather than living in that um, uh, uh, that vortex all the time. Because sometimes one doesn't realize again that we are living in the primitive part of the brain and the learning brain doesn't open. But when we are able to accept that that was our experience then and it's different now, one can heal from those experiences and foster new connections um, that can can fill that up. And so that limiting part of the brain would have to do with survival? The brain, the, the, the primitive part of the brain, the survival brain. Sorry, primitive. Yes. Did I say limiting part of it? I don't know what I just said. Yeah, that's <laughs> the part, part, yes. I, I know we meant the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, that really relates. Um, my experience with anxiety was sort of like that when I broke it down. A lot of what it would make me feel is that oh this thing is dangerous but when I looked at logically what that thing was it was the the feeling of it was more dangerous than the actual thing Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me that you say it's linked with survival so a technique that I was introduced with that helped me is called reparenting yourself so it not an easy task but I would say it was worth it because it the reason why it's difficult is because it feels like you're changing what normal is to you which can be, like you said, those core beliefs, sometimes you don't want to let go or like they're just too deeply rooted in there. But that like, it's just a very empowering method where you can provide yourself with those things that you felt you didn't get. And now you as an adult can parent yourself in that way and heal, like you said, that that void. I, I'm not familiar with that term. Parent. So thank you for introducing <laughs> that to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, um, it's, uh, when you said that, it, it drew my awareness to, you know, self-soothing and healing practices within self where one has the capability of nurturing self, That's exactly right? It, yeah. um, and and one, one understands that I, um, and accepts that I may not have had that then. However, I, I can have this now. I can feel safe now. I can connect with that part of self that uh, needs nurturing and honors that nurturing is important to self yeah right so it's never too late 
to no, do all those things. Okay, no. awesome. <laughs> it's ongoing. Nurturing is is uh, nurturing and uh, healing is an ongoing process that uh, we're going to have it through a lifetime. Good point. Yeah, there's another. That's another myth that like um, you fix yourself and then that's it. But it is an ongoing. It's like exercise. It's an ongoing process. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, we, fixing is required when something is broken. Yeah, uh, even though uh, fix yourself, you're right about that. Right, and so we, you know, this is, uh, you know, as life experiences happen to us, distress shows up, and as we're learning along the way and evolving, uh, we're also uh, reaching out and seeking ways where we can regulate ourselves, continue to challenge judgments that we have about ourselves, others of the world, and um, and really rely on our core values uh, and continue to challenge the core beliefs that don't hold. Uh, true anymore for us we're getting to the end of our talk and i'm kind of sad about it this has been really great uh so thank you yeah my last question for you shivani is how did you get into this line of work of clinical social work and psychotherapy and just tell me a little bit about uh your practice your clinic you know when you asked me that question i know um i had an opportunity to think about this question a little bit before um our um, interview today Varinder. Uh, i was actually quite grateful for the question because i hadn't thought about it for a long time um, and um, what I realized was that uh, as I think back on the question about what, um, what motivated me to be in the field, um, I think that there, there is so much to it because I've, I've become more informed of it as I've gone along. So when I was growing up, my grandmother, who was a single um, parent to my father, who she adopted uh, when he was 19 years old, um, my biological grandmother and my uh, adoptive grandmother were best friends. Um, and um, my father had uh, lost um, his father during, as I had mentioned earlier, during the um, uh, the independence movement, during the partition. Um, and uh, my grandmother um, took on um, my father and they, we became a family. Um, so uh, the, the story of adoption, the stories I heard about um, um, the independence movement was really inspiring um, and it really motivated me. My uh, grandmother came from a family of freedom fighters, so she often talked about that. Um, you know, this is uh, dating back to um, 1947. Um, and um, so some of her family members had uh, fought in India's freedom movement, um, and she was a social worker herself. Uh, and uh, growing up, uh, uh, she had a lot of public presence and um, she was instrumental in rehabilitation of women that had lost their families or separated from their families and children um, during the, the partition. Um, so growing up, there were many, um, uh, uh, I had an opportunity to meet many women that uh, my grandmother worked with um, in the rehabilitation uh, centers and um, and. Uh, working on um, reuniting them with their families. So, uh, so that was a really inspiring um, uh, experience that I witnessed. I don't, I don't know if it was something that um, I knew then, but now I, I know now that that had made an impression uh, on my life. Um, and I also grew up uh, with uh, many family members who had uh, learning disabilities, mental health concerns, um, loss in the family, and um, and really became quite sensitive to the language that was used growing up in um, uh, identifying these people. And again, coming from a place of not being informed, many hurtful words can be used that can really uh, injure people and the family members um, uh, who are differently able than what fits the norm. Again, that challenges the core belief around how we should be than who we are. So I remember having a very, um, defensive stance in protecting some of my family members who went through some very difficult experiences and how it impacted our family. And I think all that shaped in me uh, uh, finding my way to, to reconnect uh, with, uh, um, with my own sensitivities, my own vulnerabilities, and, um, and then being in a position when I learned more about it to be able to um, work with individuals um, in in, in strengthening and, and, and just being uh, honoring our own experiences and individual selves. I did not expect that answer to have so much depth and history and all this resilience. Uh, that was an amazing answer. I'm happy. I'm actually, you. you know, I, I uh, you know, I obviously it couldn't, you know, it's not something you can prepare, but as I'm talking to you, I'm, uh, I can tell my audiences that my heart is 
fluttering because it does bring up all those intensities of our life experiences. And so we are not, we can't leave those experiences behind. They inform the making of ourselves, right? So we are all an institution of our experiences and can write our own stories um, as we evolve, as we grow and become aware of them. Mm-hmm. So becoming grateful for all the things that maybe weren't positive, but they've created who you are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they have, I'm really grateful for all those experiences because they have uh, shaped who I am today. Uh, so you didn't get into your clinic. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. So um, I have a private practice in, um, in Richmond Hill um, and um, I have been in private practice uh, for a few years now. And prior to that, I worked in the nonprofit sector, specifically in addictions and mental health uh, for about 19 years. Um, And I still do some consulting uh, with some of um, uh, the organizations in the region and uh, really value the work that we do as a community and um, really grateful to be a part of this community where I have the ability to give back. Um, In my own private practice, um, I specifically work with trauma. So um, I am um, certified as an EMDR therapist and EMDR is a special uh, specialty uh, modality that is used to help um, uh, individuals who have been through uh, traumatic experiences. So it's a kind of exposure therapy. Um, And I also have trained in dialectical behavioral therapy, which uh, really focuses on Uh, developing behavioral skills uh, in individuals in helping uh, working through emotional dysregulation um, um, and um, developing skills for distress tolerance. Um, So um, that's me. And uh, I'm also connected uh, with uh, uh, Youth Speak in in many capacities. During the early days of Youth Speak, I had uh, the honor of working very closely with Una, who is the founder of the uh, of Youth Speak, and um, and it's uh, really energizing and inspiring to see the growth with Youth Speak and the opportunity to meet all the speakers. So, uh, thank you for this. For anyone listening, how can people get in touch with you? Um, so, uh, I'm not very tech savvy, as I was saying to Brinder. So, I'm 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 striving for that. But I do have a website. It's okridgestherapy.com. Um, uh, my contact information is also available there. I'm also on Psychology Today. You can look up uh, Shivani Gupta um, and find me there. Um, and uh, I, I usually um, meet with people for a consultation. Uh, there is no charge for the consultation um, to be able to understand their needs and also for uh, the person who's calling to have a better sense and understand if uh, they think that uh, the services that we provide here at Oak Ridges Therapy Center are suited to what they're looking for. Um, so, um, you know, reaching out is the first step to making a change for yourself. Um, and I encourage everybody to do that um, when required. I think we both agree on that. Uh, those are all my questions. So Shivani, thank you so much for doing this with me. I've so enjoyed our conversation and you've given incredible value. Thank you again for being a part of this. Thank you, Vrinder. I, I really had a good time as well. I know we were both looking forward to it and I'm, I'm glad this has, um, this has come together. Um, and I also want to thank you for your uh, very insightful questions. It really made me think. Um, and I, I think it was a a little bit of my own self-reflection I was doing through this process as well. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. If you want to hear more stories, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and like. To support more youth by youth-led projects, visit us at youthspeak.ca where you can donate and spread youth mental health awareness. Youth Speak Performance Charity. Speak. Inspire. Change.